good morning. My earliest uh, memory that I have of Jason uh, actually occurred on caravan when we were assigned to the same tent. That's back when we did tents on caravan. And all of a sudden, I show up, and there's a sleeping bag in my tent, and it's his. And uh, that's how we got to know each other. And then he's going to tell some other of our history. But I want to remind you, uh, before Jason does his story, how to listen to these stories. Uh, one of the things that you want to listen closely, and you want to listen for how God worked in this story, which in some ways will be the same as God worked in your story, and in some ways will be different than how God worked in your story. So listen for both of those. Where is God at work in your life the same way he's at work in Jason's? And where is he at work in your life in a different way than he's at work in Jesus, in Jason's, and uh, the purpose is to increase our faith. So, uh, Jason, I'm eager for us all to hear your story. Thanks, Dave. <clears throat> Hello. It's an honor to be here today. I'm Jason Wellnitz. Uh, you probably don't know me, but you probably know people who know me. Um, my parents are Hank and Lorene Wellnitz. They live in Cedar Falls. Uh, my dad, Hank, was one of the original employees at Omega Cabinets in Waterloo. He retired early and then had an even more successful second career doing nonprofit work at our home church of Naz, building houses for Habitat for Humanity and irrigation systems in Jamaica, amongst other things. I learned about hard work and service by watching him. My mom, Lorene, was a teacher in the Waterloo schools. If you live in the Waterloo Cedar Falls area, you've definitely run across her, even if you don't know her. She's in tennis, pickleball, Audubon Society, Master Gardeners, volunteers at Allen, on and on. As my dad says, she's never seen an, ev an event in the paper that she wasn't interested in. She's always very excited to see you. I tell her she's my secret advantage in life. My sisters are Jesse and Laura. They, they like to tell me they were big deals around here. Uh, Jesse was a softball star at East High and went on to start at Northwestern University in Chicago. Laura has a beautiful voice, uh, starred in musicals at NU High, and went on to college at Iowa. Some other people you may or may not know is a certain group of characters called the Bartlett's. Uh, Dave and Linda Bartlett are longtime servant leaders here at Orchard. They had four kids, Jer, Ben, then Joel and Emily, who are twins. I'm married to Emily. You'd be forgiven if you've never heard of me before. Uh, whenever Dave teaches and he happens to list off all of his family members, he accidentally leaves me off. <laughs> Emily and I live in Cedar Falls and have three amazing kids. Kale's a senior at CF, Ayla's a sophomore there, and Jonah's an eighth at Pete. Growing up, uh, my childhood was fantastic. We lived along Highway 63 on the north end of Waterloo. Back then, our side of the highway was open field and forest. I would run and roam all over, building forts and climbing trees. My sisters and I played and imagined together. My mom built confidence in me when she sent me off to walk the half mile or so to kindergarten down the highway and cross a field. In spring, my shoes would be covered in sticky black mud. We grew up attending Nazareth Lutheran in Cedar Falls. I fondly remember Sunday school in our Bible study program, Wings. I grew up hearing the head pastor there, Homer Larson, slap his hand on the pulpit and say, you've got to fall on your face and love the Lord your God, Jesus Christ. We were always a front row family, and if I squinted my eyes, it would seem like Pastor Larson was floating above the pulpit. 
The summer between fourth and fifth grade, I went over to a friend's house and he asked if I wanted to watch a movie. This kid was into horror. Uh, the scariest thing I'd seen by that point is E.T. <laughs> that horror movie terrified me and for a year or so I had trouble sleeping alone. During that time, I began praying for the very first time. Dear God, please help me think of good things, not bad things. I felt protected. At NAS, you attend confirmation classes in junior high. I, alone amongst my peers, as far as I can tell, actually enjoyed it. I, I took pride in my first communion and confirmation in ninth grade. That was a spiritual milestone for me and, and a rite of passage. The summer before my senior year of high school, I went on to Caravan, the summer trip put on by Orchard and Naz. That year, we went to the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. I was in a small group led by Pat Ayler, who's still on staff here. I came back from Caravan on a spiritual high, energized like never before. Pat and I formed a small group of my close friends at East High that met throughout our senior year. It was a great time of discussion and exploration. We all went on caravan together after graduation. I then left for college at the University of Oklahoma with a solid base of faith and friendship. The first couple years of college, however, I didn't really grow in my faith that much. The summer of 1998, after my junior year of college, I had an internship in Chicago. I wanted to experience all the big city had to offer, so I got an apartment on a party street my apartment building physically touched three bars. I had a lot of fun, but I felt lonely. I would look, in my, look at myself in the mirror behind the bar, surrounded by people, but not really connected to any of them. I was at my internship one day, high up in a skyscraper, when the phone in my cubicle rang. It was my mom suggesting, for some reason, that I should go on caravan again, this time as a staff person. For some reason, that idea appealed to me. For some reason, I left my internship early, moved out of my apartment, and headed back to Cedar Falls to leave on caravan. It turns out that reason was one Miss Emily Suzanne Bartlett. As I walked into register for caravan, there was this curly-headed smoke show checking people in. <laughs> I began noticing her at different points on the trip, and we would chat now and then. Eventually, she started noticing me back. Over the course of that week, we fell in love. At the end of the trip, when Caravan stopped in Chicago on the way home, we snuck away from the group and I showed her around town. After Caravan, I went back to Oklahoma and Emily went back to UNI for our senior years and we embarked on a long distance relationship. We emailed each other at least once a day. Towards the end of college though, the long distance part of the relationship became too hard. That, and I started working on a project that would turn into my first job after college. This was 1999, and I was determined to make my mark in the booming dot-com world. So I set out for Seattle to help start a business. My relationship with Emily didn't survive that move. It turns out that breaking up with someone you love, working 12-hour days, seven days a week, never seeing the sun because it rains all the time in Seattle trying to get a business off the ground and failing pretty much in every way is not what we might say in contemporary terms conducive to your holistic mental health. I was in a dark place. Literally, I lived in a basement and the sun never came out. That October, my best friend from high school decided to join me in Seattle. Him being there helped a lot, but ultimately things kept getting worse. It ended up being a rock bottom for me. 
I eventually returned to Waterloo with my tail between my legs, failed and unconfident. A year or so after being in town, however, Emily and I reconnected. A year after that, we were engaged. We got married in the summer of 2002. That Emily and I could end up married after a random phone call from my mom and me nearly screwing the whole thing up could be described as God's hand at work. In 2004, Emily and I took the journey course at Orchard where I wrote the first version of this narrative I'm reading here today. While we were taking that course, we found out Emily was pregnant. We decided we would move to Cedar Rapids so I could take a job at Rockwell Collins, a job I still have today, and we would start building a family. In June of 2005, my life changed forever when I saw Kale for the first time. It happened just like they say. The capacity for love in my heart expanded tenfold right then and there. My chest literally felt bigger. We brought Kale home, my sweet, beautiful baby boy. And then that first night, he wouldn't stop crying, and I had the very strong urge just to pitch him right out the window. <laughs> that would be my very first two rails moment, a concept I'll get into more later. Kale was fantastic, if a bit volatile. We nicknamed him Zero to Sixty. I adored watching him pull himself up, play with his little tool set and his big white kitty. A sweet little kid, for the most part. 17 months later, here comes Ayla. She was in a hurry from the get-go. She came about an hour after we got to the hospital. Ayla started crawling at five months, way too young, getting herself stuck everywhere. She was a beauty brimming with energy. And she still is today. Then a couple years later, here comes Jonah. We called him Jumpin' Jonah. He would literally jump in his crib for hours. I've got video of it. It's like for hours. Those early days in Cedar Rapids were just great. They were really hard to be sure, but great. And never once slept through the night. And I had anger and control issues I had to work through in my parenting. But those times were very fulfilling as the kids grew from one stage to the next. Every night when the kids were tiny and in their cribs, I'd put my hand down on their small chest to make sure they were still breathing. I'd make the sign of the cross above them, and I'd ask God to protect them. Later, when bedtime routines became a thing, I would sing Jesus Loves Me to them. We'd found a church in Cedar Rapids we liked called St. Mark's Lutheran. M got plugged into the various parts of the church right away, eventually serving on the board. I, on the other hand, would sit in the seats and in my head critique the sermon or the music or the prayer. Emily, in that sweet way that she has, suggested that rather than griping about what was or wasn't working exactly right for me, I should just maybe think about go, getting involved. In other words, instead of complaining from the sidelines, go ahead and get in the game. I'd seen one guy helping out in Sunday school, so I tried it. It wasn't bad. It was actually pretty fun. I've been doing it off and on ever since. In 2011, Dave invited me to go on a mission trip to Mozambique, Africa with him and seven other people from Orchard. It was just a spiritual boost I needed at that point. Um, raising young kids and building a career doesn't always leave a lot of energy for spiritual growth. It was a great experience once in a lifetime. At one point, four of us left the main group to visit our sponsored kids in a very remote village. We were supposed to meet one of them at his home, but the child's guardian had taken him away, potentially to hide his abuse of that child. DeGene McMartin was moved to pray in that moment and put his hands on the child's home. We put our hands on DeGene and prayed as well. 
A feeling of spiritual electricity came up and through me. I believe I experienced the physical presence of God in that moment. I came back from Mozambique with a new set of eyes for the world. I'd met an amazing man in in Mozambique called Halkano. His life story was truly unbelievable, and I thought elements of it would make a great novel. I eventually published a short Kindle book that mixed elements of Halkano's life and my family's history. I had fun doing it, but writing writing is hard. I I was walking on my treadmill at home one day, wrestling with the idea of maybe writing more or maybe leaving my big company job for a small startup or, or something else. I was praying, asking God for direction. A powerful thought came to me. What makes you important is not what you do at work or what writing you put into the world. What makes you important is simply that God loves you. Experiencing God's love is what makes you unique. In that moment, some of my striving ceased. I knew I wanted to feel God's love and in turn experience and love my own family. That moment would play a role in the terrible events of the following year. Wednesday, June 10th, 2015, around 3.45, my coworker Brent and I were in the hallway talking and I returned to my, de- my, my office chuckling. My cell phone rang. It was Emily. From the first note of Emily's voice, I could tell something was very wrong. She said, Ben's family was in a car accident and Ben, Charlie, and Bailey died. What, I said, is this a joke? I dropped to one knee and put my hand on the floor. No, she said, they died. And they took Aaron and Kaya to the hospital. Those of you that have experienced before and after moments know that you never forget the moment your life changed forever. I rushed home and I found Emily in the backyard of our house. We wrapped ourselves around each other and cried. She had been calling people and now a new call came in from her friend. As she took the call, I reached out for God as I had since I saw that scary movie back when I was nine. I picture it now as me turning my head back and to the left, looking for the God that had always comforted and protected me. But he wasn't there this time, only emptiness. And that terrified me more than any scary movie ever had. Ben was 39 when he died. Only a year and a half older than Emily and I. My son, Cale, turned 10 on June 9th, and his cousin and his best friend, Charlie, died the next day. Charlie was 11. Bailey and Cale were born exactly three weeks apart. Cale got to turn 10. Bailey never did. I saw so many terrible moments during those days after the accident, and I saw so many amazing moments. So many of you here at Orchard supported us in that time. I wish I could tell you more about some of those moments, but I I can't really say them without crying. The funeral itself took place in this room was an astounding feat of creativity. 
It's online and you should watch it even though it's hard. It's a living testament to what this church is capable of in a moment of profound grief. The morning after the funeral, I began thinking about moving my family back to Cedar Falls. I kept thinking, we were listed in Ben and Aaron's will as the guardians for Charlie, Bailey, and Kaya, and Ben and Aaron were listed in ours. If I had died instead of Ben, he would be doing something like this for my kids. I couldn't sleep. I kept thinking, we have to do something to help, and we're the only ones truly capable of doing it. Capable of being so close to Kaya and Aaron, to Dave and Linda. Emily and kids could support, the, could support Kaya and Aaron in a way I thought no one else could. I kept putting, putting things on one side of a scale and Kaya's smile on the other. Our house, Kaya's smile. My job, Kaya's smile. Our relationships in Cedar Rapids, Kaya's smile always won. After a tremendous effort and with the help of good family and friends, we moved to Cedar Falls. The first day of school in August 2015, my kids, Kale in fifth, Ayla in third, and Jonah in first, walked with Kaya, who was also in third grade, to their first day of school together. Dave, Linda, Aaron, Em, and I trailed behind. It was the picture I'd been striving for since just after the funeral. At the end of August, Orchard had its annual gathering at UNI. It was the first time Dave had spoken publicly since the accident, and it was immensely powerful. At the end of the service, Emily's cousin, Michael Rogers, led a chorus in singing the song, No Longer Slaves. The key lyric says, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. During that song, I experienced the two rails very intensely. Two rails is the idea of experiencing two very powerful, very opposite emotions at the exact same time. Like when I brought Kale home from the hospital and experienced love as I never had before, and how at the exact same time when he wouldn't stop crying, I wanted to pitch him out the window. That's two rails. Or when Emily and Joel were writing what they would say at the funeral, how in our deep grief, Jer, Sally, and I laughed with them about all the funny things Ben, Charlie, and Bailey had done over the years. It's two rails. Now sitting in Gallagher Blue Dorn, hearing that beautiful music, I experienced a depth of grief that seemed endless. And at the exact same time, I experienced an overwhelming almost joyful emotion that doesn't have a word, but it stretched out to infinity. It was the most powerful spiritual moment of my life. A few months later, however, after the shock of everything I'd worn off, my shock then turned to anger. Emily and I had been going through our grief alone. Ultimately, everyone grieves alone and trying to understand our grief together. We'd been reacting to the deep injury of the accident, the move, my work situation, and our new lives in ways we didn't yet understand in ourselves and couldn't quite recognize in each other. Things didn't feel the same between us. A long drive on a family vacation in North Carolina in the summer of 2016 did us a lot of good. We talked through a lot of things. I described all of the thoughts that were constantly flying around in my head, and I was surprised to learn that she wasn't already aware of them. 
it turns out you need to tell your spouse what you're thinking and feeling, not just waiting for them to somehow figure it out. When the accident happened, my relationship with God shifted from what it had been growing up. I didn't experience the closeness to God that I'd had before. I still talked to God, but it was different now. More conversational, less transactional. I stopped asking God for things when I prayed. The soft, protecting love I'd felt in the first part of my life was different now. Rather than being soft and comforting, it was hard and stretched off below me in all directions. I think my faith is deeper inside of me now. The second half of 2016, then 2017 and 18, my spiritual balloon began to reinflate. Music here at church became even more deeply meaningful to me. I, I felt increasingly connected to God. But then 2019 and more hard stuff. In January, I found out my oldest friend had nearly killed himself with alcohol. In May, Emily's brother, Jer, was diagnosed with cancer. And my good friend, John, lost his son in a freak car accident. In August, my sister, Laura's husband, sustained a major injury, and we didn't know if he'd ever be the same. Slowly, the air came out of my spiritual balloon. Then, 2020, the pandemic. Emily and I learned through all this that we react in opposite ways to external trauma. Yes! We didn't always react the same way to what was going on around us, which required time and conversation to work through. I'm happy to report we're in a great place now, at least until the next big thing comes along. During the pandemic, Ben's widow Aaron started a new relationship. In 2021, it became an engagement and then a wedding. Most honest, that was another two rails moment for me. I was and am extremely, extremely happy for Erin. We all love seeing her smile again. But I wrestled with unwanted feelings, feelings like Ben, Charlie, and Bailey were being re replaced in our family. Sometimes you just have to wait out your bad feelings. Alongside that, in January 2021, a piercing, pulsing ringing in my right ear just started up one day, and it hasn't stopped since. It's the first thing I hear in the morning and the last thing I hear at night. I began to have concerning thoughts, thoughts like, I'm not sure I can do this forever. And thoughts like, not only was I not experiencing happiness right now, I wasn't sure if I'd ever experienced happiness before. Those were the lies of depression, of course. I'd been depressed before, particularly in Seattle, but this felt deeper. Fortunately, though, through time and exercise and making attempts to adjust my thinking, I was able to come out of it. I know that's not always the case for everyone. I would absolutely be open to counseling or medication if I ever trend in that direction again. Then, last year, a great year. Emily and I celebrated 20 years of marriage by taking the kids to Europe, my parents celebrated 50 years of marriage with a party we'll be talking about forever. I took a new position at Collins that allows me to work on space projects like the NASA Artemis rocket that recently went around the moon. And I did a bunch of fun small trips. So you're all caught up. That's me. The guy you see in front of you is right in the middle of his journey. A few times in my life, I thought I had it all figured out, only to get knocked off track and had to start figuring it all out over again. I'm in a time like that now. 
I feel deep gratitude, especially for my wife of 20 years, my amazing children, my nieces and nephews. Watching them grow and thrive is the best part of my life. I miss Ben, Charlie, and Bailey every day. I experience two rails all the time. Kale's headed off to college this fall, something I'm really excited about. But I'm really going to miss him. Ayla, Lord help me, has a boyfriend. <laughs> you know I forget his name. Uh, Dave, I guess I forgive you. It's easy to forget. Our baby, Jonah, soon will be taller than me, and he already runs way faster. Kaya smiles a lot, but I don't see her as often. A place like this, Orchard Hill Church and my childhood church of Naz, where people can believe different things, can wrestle with the big questions, can come together in service and community is extremely, extremely important in this disconnected world that we live in. If you have a rock-solid faith and not a lot of questions, we need you here. If you have no faith at all, but are open to the mysteries of the universe, we want you here too. And if you're like me and you're right in the middle of a journey, looking ahead at a sometimes fuzzy horizon, come right on in, the water's just fine. Ultimately, the verse that speaks the most to me at this very moment in time is 1 John 4, 16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And that's what I'm trying to do right now. Live in love. Thank you. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for the way you've worked in Jason's story since he was a little boy. And thank you, Father, for how you've worked in our stories, our stories, since we were little ones. Father, for uh, Jason and his family and his future, we just pray you will bless them in your own way and that they will continue to surrender to you. And Father, I pray for everyone in the room who is touched by some part of this story, who identified with some part of this story. Father, could uh, they sense your nearness, like Jason did, uh, you know, at that hut in Mozambique, or in the balcony at the Gallagher Blue Dorn at the gathering. Could uh, we sense your presence? And in those long periods of time, like Jason talked about, when it's harder to sense your presence, could we still have faith? In Jesus' name, amen.